Good morning. I hope you all are, are having, an, having a good morning today. Um, if you have never met me before, my name's Joe, and I get to lead our high school and young adult ministries here at the chapel. And um, I've been asked to, to share a message with you today. I'm looking forward to that. I want to let you know about a few things coming up first, though. So um, I have some announcements for you. And the first one coming up is a parenting class that, that we are offering at the chapel. And I'll tell you what, Having kids is, is incredible. I have a, a senior, a junior, and a kindergartner, so pray for us. Uh, and nothing can bring us more joy or heartache than raising kids, right? And if you're like me, you want to be a better parent. Um, and, and not that we're bad parents, but we can always do better. And so we want to invite you to join Pastor Todd, his wife Lisa, and along with some other parents who have been there They've done that, they've blown it, and have sometimes succeeded for a really awesome parenting class. And uh, we're going to be offering this on Sunday, February the 6th from 4 to 7 p.m. at our Sandusky campus. And we're going to look, look at what God's Word has to say about the real stuff of parenting. Uh, we're going to provide pizza for you, and there's going to be child care available um, if you request that when you register. So all you have to do is text that word parenting to the number up on the screen in order to get registered. If you don't text, no problem. You can stop out at the Welcome Center, and they can give you more information to register as well, too. The next one, I'm really excited about this. Uh, I didn't even know this story until I found out that Drew was coming to the chapel, but this is, gonna, this is a leadership development um, opportunity or event that we're having, and it's going to be Friday, February the 4th, from 6 to 7 p.m. at our Sandusky campus. So in 2020... Major League Baseball player Drew Robinson attempted to take his own life. And after surviving for, for 20 hours in his, in his home with a, with a fatal wound, he decided to choose life and he called for help. And his mission now is to help others as his new role model or his new role as the mental health advocate for the San Francisco Giants. And so you get to join us as we interview him and uh, a former professional baseball player. Ryan Rua as they speak about mental health and wellness and share their journey. So this is going to be at our Sandusky campus, and I'm telling you that space is limited because this is open to the public, so you want to register as soon as possible. And all you can do, you can register right now, is just text the word baseball to the number up on the screen to be registered for this event. This is something you don't want to miss for sure. But the next one, this is near and dear to my heart because I get to work with high school students and young adults. And, you know, being a young adult, if you are between the ages of like 18 to 30, um, especially, you know, if you didn't go off to college or maybe you went off to college and you graduated or, you know, when you're home on break, sometimes it can be hard to find a group of people um, who are going through the same things that you are, a group of peers who are maybe in your hometown uh, that want to be like, like Jesus. And so we want to get you plugged into a circle, um, is what we call it, or a small group of, of young adults who are growing alongside of you, walking towards Jesus to be like him. We have incredible, incredible young adult small groups. We've got one at each campus. And so here in Norwalk, if you want to be a part of that, all you have to do is text YA Norwalk, all one word, to the number up on the screen, and we will get you plugged into that small group. Um, Olivia Miller is our small group leader here in Norwalk. She does a tremendous job. We would love to get you plugged in there as well, too. And then lastly, on the opposite end of the spectrum, 60-plus luncheons. So if you are in the, 
in the age group where you're thinking about pensions and maybe some calcium supplements, this is going to be for you. Um, this is coming up on Friday from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. with special guest speakers. Yeah, it's Pastor Charles, his wife Tricia, me, and my wife Marlena are going to be sharing as well, too. And I was kind of thinking, like, what in the world are we going to have to share, you know, with these people who have gone through are so much further down the road than us? But we're looking for it, too. Um, so the luncheon is limited to 42 people, so there's not a ton of room, and it's $10, day, or it's $10 on the day of the luncheon, and uh, registration is available now. You can register through, the, through texting, you can register on the website or the app, or you can stop out at the Welcome Center, uh, but registration closes tomorrow, so make sure to get that done today. All right, so we got all that out of the way. <clears throat> let's, let's get into God's Word this morning. We're going to be in Daniel chapter 1 today. So if you've got your Bible or you want to open up the YouVersion app on your phone, you can do that. We'll also have the text on the screen for you as well, too. But I want to talk a little about role models because I'm at the age where finding a role model is tough. Because if someone is achieving something great and then I find out that they're younger than me, that's really discouraging, okay? Uh, Tom Brady and I are very similar in age. Uh, He's a professional football player. He's rich, he's good-looking, he's talented. Uh, he's, ob- he's arguably the greatest of all time. He's an incredible physical specimen of a man. And I had to go to the doctor because I aggravated a nerve in my neck from sitting in a massage chair too long. We're not built the same, okay? And so it's hard to look up, to, to find people to look up to without feeling like down on myself sometimes. And so I want to ask you a couple questions. Who is your role model? So the the question is this. Who would you want to be like? All right? Think about a person that you look up to. All right? What qualities does he or she have that make you want to emulate them, make you want to be like them? And I was thinking through this, and there were so many, so many people that came to my mind. Obviously, you know, like I could, have picked, I could have picked a dozen people from our church family. But the person that I picked was, was Dave Brown, Pastor Dave, all right? Um, Pastor Dave is a special friend of mine. Uh, here's a picture. He, he married Marlena. And I, well, he didn't marry us. He did the wedding. You know what I mean. Uh, him and I ran a 5K together, which was really cool, too. Um, so he, he, is a, he was a pastor here for a long time. He was a, he's a friend of mine, and now him and his wife work at Chick-fil-A. And I'll tell you what, if you go to Chick-fil-A and they are working, they will make your experience exceptional because they just love people. And Dave is an incredibly funny person. He's a great teacher of God's word. But that isn't why I look up to him. I look up to Dave because of his character. He's a man of deep faith and prayer. He sticks to his word. He cares for people deeply. He's transparent. He's authentic. He is gracious. He's generous. And he is a faithful husband and dad. And and I imagine that the person you thought of, you probably didn't think of that person because of their achievements. Instead, you look at them because of who they are and how they live their lives every single day. You know, we are surrounded by bad role models. I was trying to think through some, and one that stuck out, I asked some people on our staff, and they said, well, Lance Armstrong would be one, because he was a guy where it's like, okay, he overcame cancer, and he won the Tour de France, and he seemed like an incredible athlete, and then we find out that, that you know, he was cheating. If you're in the church world, <clears throat> there have been some people who have fallen from grace lately. Ravi Zacharias, and you may not have heard of him, but he was an incredible apologist, meaning he, he spoke on, on, uh, as a def- gave a defense of the Christian faith. He was incredibly intelligent. And I was like, here's a guy who gets it, and he lived his life um, 
on the, on the basis of the gospel. And then after he died, we found out he had been living a double life. And there was so much darkness in his life that I almost couldn't believe that it was true. There's, an, there's a very popular podcast out right now called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. And it talks about this pastor, Mark Driscoll, who was an incredible preacher, an incredible leader. But then you dig under the surface and you find out there was a lot of darkness going on. And it's so frustrating. When I was a kid, my role model was the ultimate warrior. Any wrestling fans out there? I'm talking WWF, not WWE, all right? Maybe you don't remember the ultimate warrior, but I loved the ultimate warrior. I had ultimate warrior wristbands that I wore during gym class when I was in fourth grade and can't figure out why the kids didn't want to be around me. All right, I was weird. I loved the ultimate warrior, right? I looked up to him. And then to find out, like, I did some research on his life, and he was a mess too. Drug problems, you know, he was crazy, and, and he died young because of all his drug problems. And it seems like, you know, the people that we often look up to because of their achievements sometimes have some darkness going on. Men, of incredible, men and women of incredible achievement, but coming up short morally and ethically. So the second question I want to ask you is a little tougher to ask. Do people want to be like you? Do people want to be like you? If your friends, your family, your coworkers, and other who really know you, know you personally, were asked this question, would you be the person who would come to mind based on who you are and how you live your life? I've had some time to personally think about this question, and the honest answer for me is, I don't, I don't know. I mean, because some days I probably lean towards, yeah, I was like, wow, it was pretty awesome today. But then there's days where, where it would be a definite no, and maybe you feel the same way. And so today, as we continue our exhausted message series, we want to examine the current state of our character. The reason is because some of us are exhausted because there is a huge gap between who I am and who I want to be. And, and so many of us are exhausted because we spend our time trying to cover up who we really are and make us look like who we want to be. We see this version of ourselves that we want to become, but we keep making poor decisions. We continue to give in to temptation or live in a way that is in direct contradiction to what we say we believe about Jesus. So we, what we want to do today is we want to address that gap and eliminate it so that we can become the best version of ourselves, so that we can become more like Christ. And to do this, I want to tell you the story of a man named Daniel. And I heard that there was this message recently from, from Andy Stanley, who's one of my favorite pastors, and he, he was giving, us, giving a message on, on Daniel's character, and it was so convicting that I want to weave a few of his thoughts in as well too, to show that I'm not alone in this conviction. So Daniel has a book named after him in the Old Testament, and for good reason. Daniel is an extraordinary person. And before I tell you how, let me give you a little bit of background. So Daniel was an Israelite. And the Israelites were the nation of people that God, or the, a nation that God had called to be his people. And when Daniel was a teenager, a terrible Babylonian king named Nebuchadnezzar, difficult to say, right? A lot of biblical names out there that are good for your kids. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar's not one of them. Sorry, I don't know if you got a little Neb running around at home, but yeah, it's not a, think of something else, Michael or something. Uh, so Nebuchadnezzar attacked the city of Jerusalem 
and overtook it. All right, the, it was the capital of Israel, and he overtook it. And what happens in this story is fascinating. So we're going to start here in Daniel 1, verses 3 and 4. It says, Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring the palace to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men, he said. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. They were to be trained for three years, and then they would enter the royal service. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. So after, the, after Nebuchadnezzar takes over Jerusalem, they take by force Israelites to go back to Babylon to serve the king. And these weren't just any random people. These were the best of the best for the king. This is why the qualifications included being young, strong, intelligent, and good-looking. I would have been fine, but some of you would have gotten taken, all right? And when you read what happens to these four teenagers, you really can't help but think like, hey, this isn't really that bad of a deal. It's kind of a golden ticket into their future. You know, they get to move to a prominent city like Babylon. They get job security. They get free education. So some of you are like, where can I sign my kids up for this, all right? Because some of you parents are on board with that. And they get to eat the same food as the king. So I want to go. This is a great deal. But before you ask the question, all right, where do I sign up for this? We need to hit the pause button for just a second and ask ourselves something. What if this opportunity isn't as good as it seems? Because verse 7 tells us why. It says this. Sorry. The chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belteshazzar. Hananiah was called Shadrach. Mishael was called Meshach. And Azariah was called Abednego. So these Israelite teenagers have been given new names after Babylonian gods. Now on the surface, a name change doesn't seem that, it seems kind of like an insignificant detail, especially with all the awesome opportunities that were, that were being presented to them. Seems like a really small price to pay. Okay, I just got to go by a different name. No big deal, right? But, but the opposite is true. Past, or the name change signifies something monumental, and Pastor Andy, Andy Stanley explains why. He says this, when you rename something, it is evidence that you now own the thing that you renamed. The king is now their lord, master, and authority. I mean, think about it. You get a pet all right, if you get a pet from someone and you don't like the name that the pet had, you can rename it, right? You own that pet. You can do whatever. You can just rename it. You have the authority to do that because it's your pet. So these, these four teenage boys aren't just working for the king. They are now becoming property of the king. And because of this, the boys had to do exactly what the king said to do or they were going to be killed. So Daniel and the other guys, now they've got a dilemma. They either obey the king, which means compromising their integrity, or stay true to your morals and your values and your faith and, and potentially be killed for it. What would you do if you were in Daniel's shoes? Because on one hand, all you have to do is make this you know, name change, which seems kind of insignificant, and then have the world laid out before you. 
or stick to what you know to be true and potentially lose your life. And while it's true that our lives may not be on the line like Daniel's, it, every single day we are confronted with thousands of decisions that will either confirm our character or compromise our character. They will either confirm our faith in Jesus or compromise our faith in Jesus. Here's a few examples of these dilemmas. Do I tell the whole truth or do I tell a little white lie even if it doesn't really hurt anybody? You know, maybe you can tell most of the truth, but you're not gonna go all the way. We have a saying amongst our staff, it's called having a 5% conversation. If somebody wants to have a 5% conversation with you, it's usually not good. All right, and the, the, what, the, what we mean by that is a lot of times if we want to tell somebody, hey, here's what's up, we'll go 95% of the way. We'll tell 95% of the truth, but we'll hold that last 5% back because maybe we don't want to hurt their feelings. Or maybe we, don't want to, maybe we don't want to shake up the relationship. But what's true is that that 5% is often the thing that we really need to say. And so at the chapel with our staff, if somebody wants to have a 5% conversation with you, that means they're going to go all the way. So do you hold back a little bit or are you willing to tell the whole truth? Do you put up emotional boundaries with the opposite sex or do you justify opening up to, some, to another person because my needs aren't being met at home? You know, do you open up to somebody because maybe at home, you know, nobody really listens to you. Nobody really cares about what you have going on. Nobody really seems to, to take interest in what you have to say. Now there's a coworker or somebody you know, maybe it's at the gym or, or, or a coffee house that you go to and they're like interested in you and they want to talk to you and, and man, this, this feels great. Somebody's interested in me. Do you put up those emotional boundaries or do you say, you know what, it's just a conversation, do I stay quiet when others are gossiping about a coworker, or do I jump in because, of, because honestly, it's the truth, right? They shouldn't have done that, so why not talk about it? Or do I say something? Do I say no to something that goes against my faith in Jesus, or do I give in to others because I don't want to be seen as the weird religious person? You might think these are a big deal. Maybe you don't. Another pastor, Kerry Newhoff, puts it this way, a thousand little compromises leaves you compromised. You may not have sold your soul to the devil, but you've definitely rented it to him. Because here's the problem. Small, comp small compromises always turn into bigger and bigger ones, and eventually our hiding, our justifying, and our lying will catch up with us somehow in some way, which which what happens then is the gap between who I am and who I want to be, those small compromises just make it grow and grow and grow and grow. And no wonder so many of us are exhausted because we're trying to cover up that gap. And if that's not enough for you, Jesus' words are worth, bear, are, are worth Jesus' words bear repeating here. He says this, and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? If you continue to give in to compromise after compromise after compromise, but you end up losing yourself in, in the process and you end up pushing Jesus further and further away, is it really worth it? Here's how Daniel answers this question. But Daniel resolved to not defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. There's two words in here that we cannot miss. 
Because they're, they're how Daniel ensured that there would be no lapse in his character and how we can do the same. The first one is the word resolved, which can be translated to purposed, made up one's mind, or determined. This means that before Daniel was ever presented with an opportunity to mess up, he resolved, he determined, he made up his mind ahead of time that he would not take the bait no matter how attractive the offer seemed. Because it's too late for you It's too late to decide what you're going to do when the opportunity presents itself. You have to decide beforehand. It's too late to hit the brakes when you're already running into the guardrail. A lot of us want to get as close as we can to sin without sinning. We want to get right on the edge. You know, and we want to say, well, it's not sin, right? It's, I mean, it's just a conversation. It's just, a, it's just hanging out with a coworker. It's just a drink. It's just all of these things. I'll give you an example. I've gone to Mexico every summer for about the past decade, taken tons of, tons of people there on mission trip. And people are like, isn't it dangerous in Mexico? Yeah, the driving is dangerous in Mexico, right? I don't know if you've ever been in a 15-passenger van with 20 people going 90 miles an hour, but it's something else. And when we go to Mexico on the, on the drive to Dr. Arroyo, which is the town we go to, there is literally an hour where you're going through a mountain pass. And I've driven this mountain pass, and, and the roads are so bad that if they were in America, they would be closed. Because this is what it is. You, here's the road. There's about a shoulder this wide, and then there's a 100-foot drop-off to nothing. And then when I've been driving, you know, this, this rickety old church van, I'm not like, hey, let's see how close we can get this tool shed on wheels to the edge of this cliff. No, I'm going left to center the whole time. I'm not trying to get anywhere near that because I know that, man, if there's a pothole or if the shoulder is soft or something, we're going over the edge. But how many of us try to live our life getting as close as we can to the edge and not falling off the cliff. And then when we do fall off the cliff, we're like, I don't know what happened. Well, because you spent most of your time riding along the edge trying to see what you can get away with before it's officially sinning. You have to decide way beforehand what you will do and what you will not do. In this case, Daniel resolved to not defile himself through eating the king's food and drink. And the word defile could be translated to pollute, desecrate, or to make unclean. For Daniel, instead of eating what the king ate, the incredible food and drink, we later found out that he would only eat vegetables and drink water. And he's not doing this because he's trying to lose weight. You know, he's not trying to detox. Rather, he resolved not to eat it because it could have been a slippery slope to things much bigger. Eating, there would have been nothing wrong with eating the king's food and drink, but it would have been one more step closer to the edge. And Daniel knew that one compromise would lead to another compromise. The ESV Bible puts it this way. Daniel and his friends avoided the luxurious diet of the king's table as a way of protecting themselves from being ensnared by the temptations of the Babylonian culture. With this restricted diet, they continually reminded themselves in this time of testing that they were the people of God in a foreign land and that they were dependent for their food, indeed for their very lives upon God, their creator, not the king Nebuchadnezzar. What we need to do is to put up guardrails, all right? Because a guardrail exists in a place where you could technically drive, right? 
but it keeps you from even getting close to going over the edge. And so for maybe it's for you, your guardrail might be, you know what, I'm never gonna have a conversation with a member of the opposite sex in a, in a closed room, right? Not that there's anything necessarily wrong with it, but you're putting yourself in a compromising situation. Maybe for you, you know, for me, I've told my story a lot of times, I've struggled with addiction. I don't go hang out in bars. Not that there would be anything wrong with it, but I'm not gonna get that close to, to temptation over the edge. Put a guardrail up in order to keep you from going over the edge. So in other words, Daniel would do whatever it takes, no matter how hard it is, or what others would think of him, or if it was weird, or what it would cost him in the end to not compromise his faith and ultimately his character. And as a result, church, what happens next is beautiful. It says, now God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. As a result of honoring God, God honors Daniel. Not only does Daniel find favor with the king, but then as you read the story, Daniel finds, finds favor with the future regime as well. And I absolutely love these two verses in Daniel, chapter 6, verses 3. And four, it says this, Daniel soon proved himself more capable, more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. Because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. Then the other administrators and high, and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling the government affairs, but they could not find anything to criticize or condemn. He was always faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. Could you imagine what it would be like if your friends and your family, your coworkers, and the other people who really knew you could say these things about you, that you were faithful, that you were responsible, that you were trustworthy, and that no one could find fault in you? And I'm not saying perfect, but above reproach. Not perfect, but headed towards it. Not perfect, but willing to admit when you're wrong and having the humility to make the necessary changes. Not perfect, but moving closer to Jesus. You can. And Daniel's life and character can be our life and character. Daniel's identity was completely, was so completely in God that he resolved in advance to never defile and pollute his character, even if it meant death himself. Are you, are we willing to do the same? How do we do that? Well, first, you have to decide if God has integrity. Does God follow through on his promises? Will God follow through on his promises? Is God's word true? I was given this Bible as a gift in 2008, and obviously it's seen some better days, but what I love about it is, is that it shows that it's been used because, and I'm not bragging, but this book is my life. The words in this book are true. They are the very words from God. And so you have to decide for yourself, one, will you be willing to open this book? And not just on Sunday, but every day. And will you be willing to believe what it says and then actually live that out? Does God's word have integrity? And because if it is, we cannot live a life of distrust in God's word and then live a life of integrity saying that we believe in Jesus. God must be so important that we make up our mind to never compromise our character no matter what it takes. 
And if we do fail, which we will, we accept God's grace and we get up and we resolve again and again and again until what people said about Daniel becomes what people say about us. So it's time to ask yourself, are you, are we willing to live with integrity? You got to ask yourself, are you, doing, are you doing what is right or are you doing what is easy? Because every time you choose to do the easy thing instead of the right thing, you become the type of person who does what's easy instead of right. Every decision that you make makes a minor adjustment in the trajectory of who you are becoming. Are you riding on the edge of sin or are you willing to go left of center so that you don't even come close to falling over the edge? Are you deceiving yourself? Pastor Dave once told me, he said, our capacity for self-deception is infinite, which means that you and I, we can talk ourselves into almost anything. So are you willing to put some people around you who are willing to call you out and say, hey, what is going on here? And then be willing to listen to them. Am I manipulating scripture to get what I want out of life? Am I taking God's words out of context and trying to twist them so that it supports every decision that I make? Because you can make the Bible say what you want it to say, but are you willing to have people around you to tell you that you're wrong? Is what I'm doing worth the cost of living a life that, you know, at the end I'm not going to be proud of? Are there things in my life that, man, I hope people don't find out? Would people who know me look up to me as an example of godly character? Or are there some adjustments that I need to make? What will the people that I care about say about my life when, when I'm gone? Would I be able to say to God, I'm doing what's right in your eyes, even though I don't always agree, even though I don't always like it, and even though it requires sacrifice? I want to leave you with this quote from Andy Stanley that I think is, is really important to this. Integrity is doing what you ought to, even if it costs you. Are we really willing to follow Jesus, even if it costs us? Because we can never go wrong when we do what is right. Let me pray for us. Father God, I know that there's some conviction in this message, God. And if we try to fix these things on our own power, God, we will absolutely fail. So God, please help myself and every single person in here to lean into you. That through your strength, through your grace, through the power of the Holy Spirit, God, that we can live lives of integrity, never willing to compromise, never willing to ride on the edge of sin. God, so that when, when, we, when we stand face to face before you, God, we can stand in front of you with integrity and hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand with us as we just dedicate